The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Hey, everybody. Will Brinson here. It's Pick 6 Podcast. Uh, The regular episode is going to happen in a few seconds or minutes or whatever, but on Monday afternoon, Christian McCaffrey signed a $16 million per year contract extension, four years, $64 million with the Carolina Panthers, making him the highest paid running back in NFL history. And that's just not something we could ignore before the podcast. But since we all worked four or five hours away from our families during quarantine on the CBS Sports HQ mock draft, 12 to 3, and then the Pick 6 podcast show, which was 3 to 4, back today, Tuesday from four to five, check it out. Uh, I thought I would just riff on the Christian McCaffrey stuff off the top. So we would have some discussion of it out there and then we'll throw it to the normal podcast. This is like a bonus. It's like a bonus podcast at the, it's a, it's the reverse of the old 1990s, uh, bit where they would, uh, bands would stick secret tracks in the back of records. I mean, it's a non-secret podcast, bonus podcast on the front of the podcast or something like that. Uh, anyway, I would say this. Uh, Chris McCaffrey is one of the most explosive and dynamic players in all of football. Um, he is under contract now through 2025. That is a really long time. Uh, I, I think that I struggle with this one because I really like McCaffrey as a player. I think the Panthers, and I've been saying this for a few weeks now, I think the Panthers really wanted to uh, endear some goodwill towards the fan base by making sure that they didn't lose Greg Olson, Cam Newton, Luke Keekley, and Christian McCaffrey in one offseason by like trading him or something like that. Um, I don't entirely know what their plan is though. Like you just saw the Todd Gurley deal turn out to be a disaster. You just saw the David Johnson deal turn out to be a disaster. Um, Zeke Elliott's contract, I mean, the Cowboys didn't make the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that that's the end all be all, but like, it's, it's been a disaster since they signed it because they couldn't keep Byron Jones and now they have Dak Prescott unhappy on the franchise tag. Uh, Le'Veon Bell was, his contract was getting blasted by his own coach before the season started last year. And they mean, like, the only good running back contract handed out in the last five years is like Austin Eckler. The decision, I mean, Derrick Henry just dominated the NFL down the stretch. Set records for most rushing yards in the playoffs, and he can't get anything more than the franchise tag. So I get what Carolina is doing, I think, right? They want to, again, you lock up a great player. You have him through the 2025 season. So you're going to get uh, two years left on his rookie deal and then the four-year extension. That's what sort of bugs me is I thought Carolina might be paying him now to avoid paying him later. It seems like what they're doing is being proactive about extending a player who might, who obviously reset the market before a guy like Alvin Kamara goes out there and resets the market. Maybe Carolina had cash to burn. I, I, I just don't, it just doesn't, as good as he is, you still won five games last year. And that, that should be concerning. Uh, granted, most of it was with Kyle Allen and not Cam Newton or a banged up Cam Newton. So I mean, like I, and Kyle Allen won three of those games. So I mean, I, I get it. It, it, to me, it just flies in the face of, of what is come to be uh, understood analytics, meaning 
like the Panthers are supposed to be this progressive organization run by David Tepper, who, you know, knows how to operate a franchise. And he just gave a running back, even a very good one, maybe even the best one, you know, $64 million over four years on an extension. To me, that doesn't make a ton of sense. I love Christian McCaffrey. He's an incredible player. Um, I hope he is healthy for the full duration of it. I hope it looks like a steal in two years, but I just can't fathom why a team that's sort of rebuilding would lock in a running back for six years on the highest paid salary for all running backs, even with the cap going up. It seems like a very bizarre thing to me. And that's just sort of my, th- I, I don't, I don't see how you could look at it any other way unless you're somebody who is propping up uh, the Panthers or Christian McCaffrey. So on that note, let's throw it to the regular podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. This is the first in a three-part series of our most interesting teams in the draft series. Over the course of three days, we will break down two teams a day. Uh, we think are the both teams, uh, the, the most interesting teams in the draft. Uh, and then later on, after the break, we will talk about Chris uh, Trapasso with his top defensive lineman and edge rushers. Each of these three days will feature, Sean, don't ever do that again with your microphone. These three days will feature defensive prospects coming up after the break on each day with teams discussed before the break. As you can hear, because he's deciding to wipe his microphone with his T-shirt, Sean Wagner McGuff is on here. And as you can probably sense, the disgust coming through the microphone, so is Ryan Wilson. Sean, was, nope, you wait a second because you already violated the rules. You were in a V-neck t-shirt that clearly has not been washed in a month. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't worn it in months. It's, a, it's actually supposed to be a white V-neck t-shirt. Here's, no, here's the thing is that I, I don't have laundry in my building and I'm trying to avoid going to the laundromat because of Corona. So I'm really dipping into my old shirts right now. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? Who cares what you wear? Yeah. Thank you. I'm not going to wear this on our HQ show in an hour or are two you, hours. Are you shaving? Yeah. I just shaved. Huh. Today, this morning. He's not wearing that shirt, but he's wearing that, that wig, and that concerns me much more than that shirt does. What do you want me to do, Ryan? Hairdressers or clothes? Hair dry. He goes to a hairdresser. What are you, my grandmother? Yes. Get a, uh, get a, um, get a, uh, Clipper. uh, Clippers. No, that, that's the plan. I don't own them right now, though. He's Amazon never. Amazon Mofo? I just said that to him. He, he doesn't understand how it works. I don't want to put the drivers at risk. That's what he said. No. Virtually. It's a moral implication, Ryan. You sound just like him. Who's I talking? Was, I was being Meanwhile, Sean's like, Sean's like fired up Postmates every like three hours to get like some a taco. taco uh, yesterday I ordered Thai food and it never came. They just uh, didn't deliver it. I got my money back and I got a $10 credit, but this is the second time caviar in the last two weeks. Just my order has come two hours late or just hasn't shown up. And every time they give me a credit, which means I'm hooked to keep ordering from them, because now I have $20 in credit, and I'd be foolish not to use that $20. But every time I use the credit, my food doesn't come. What is caviar? It's an ordering service. It's like Postmates or Grubhub or oh, Uber Eats. Uber Eats. All right, that's enough about Shauna's dumb t-shirt. Let's go. I, I agree. Let's talk about things that are much more interesting. For instance, the Miami Dolphins are one of the most interesting teams in the draft. They have three first-round picks. 
And uh, it feels like, Ryan, everything's at stake for Chris Greer and Brian Flores and company. Yeah, uh, that is true. Um, I'm trying to think here. Because they don't have a quarterback, you see, and they have three first round. No, I understand that. I'm just sort of going doing the mental math of all the picks they have. I think they have six of the first seventy picks. We know about they have them having number five. Fourteen overall. Fourteen right. overall. There's no Ryan, if, if you looked at the rundown, you wouldn't have to do this yourself. No, they I'm looking have, they have. I'll tell you what picks they have. They have five, eighteen, twenty six, thirty nine, fifty six, seventy. Those are very choice picks. Uh and then they're off the clock for a bit one forty one, one fifty three, one fifty four, one seventy three, one eighty five, two twenty seven, two forty six, and two fifty one. That is a bunch of crap on the back end. Like they're gonna come away with a bunch of players, but and maybe they'll be good players, but by they're not, large, they're not drafting fourteen players. So the plan is obviously to uh, move up as much as possible. And the first move up opportunity, of course, is at number five. But they can move up in the second and third rounds as well if, uh, you know, someone they like is there. I, I'm just hesitating because I don't know what's going to happen to Tua because everything's coming out now. You don't know what to believe. Is he healthy? Is he not healthy? Chris Mortensen of ESPN uh, released on Twitter his pro day, Tua's pro day. And he looked great. But, I mean, you know, why would you release it if he looked like crap? So where are we on here? Mike Lombardi, Party, the former um, NFL general manager, has talked about the injuries and the team's concerned about his, his hip. And then, of course, Lee Steinberg, his agent. And um, there's a report in ESPN about two of the doctors uh, close to two of the orthopedic surgeons um, think he's going to be fine. So I don't know what to believe because I'm not a doctor and I don't have information that um, most people don't have. Yeah, it's interesting that the uh, Miami Dolphins, or at least the media in the with the Miami Dolphins, uh, Armando Salguero notably, um, we've just seen a lot of like, this guy's an injury risk, like just a lashing out at Tua and his injury issues. And you have to wonder, like, it is smokescreen season. Do the Dolphins, do the Dolphins, it is weird though, like, you know, you, you, like, let's say they desperately want Tua. But they're basically like, you know, having the Miami media blast him publicly and they're having this information war because, and if the Dolphins are doing it, it's not because the Dolphins, you know, want to like hurt him. It's because they want to take him in theory and have him, have be able to take him at five, right? Yeah. They don't want to have to give up those assets that they require by trading away really good players. But so they have, have to like, move up to get them, but they have to like crap on him publicly in order they to. They want to cause a fall to five. Because yeah. the, because there are teams at two to four who could trade up and take them above them, and that leads into the what's at stake conversation. Yes, it's great to have three first round picks, but you have to remember the two players they gave up to get those first round picks: Laramie Tunzel and Minka Fitzpatrick. And if they don't hit on these picks, then suddenly you just gave away two very good players for free. Well, the upside is you can acquire Laramie Tunzel for the from the from the next <laughs> seventh round pick, and you'll be fine. So you can get him back. You're not getting Minka. You throw in a third, and you get Deshaun Watson, too. <laughs> and whoever's the starting running back. <laughs> what it was Sean, Sean's argument going to be for supporting the Texans. I will say this, and I've said it a bunch, and I'm going to say it until it actually happens or doesn't happen on draft night. But if you're the Dolphins and you have three first-round picks and you hit on 50% of first-round quarterbacks in terms of them being franchise quarterbacks, why not take a flyer on Tua? Uh, he's better than Justin Herbert. Um, the medicals, according to you know the orthopedic surgeons close to him, are, are good. And then uh, there are reports that other teams are worried. I get all that. But it only takes one team. And I just can't envision him so he doesn't go to the Dolphins. You're telling me the Chargers are going to pass on him at six? No. Would the Jaguars do it at nine? I mean, at some point, he's going to get drafted. Daniel well, was a first-round pick. Dwayne Haskins was a first-round pick. Dwayne Haskins was my number one quarterback last year. I will own that. But, I mean, the point is, two was better than both those guys. You would de- – like – 
even with the medical concerns and the unknown, you would definitely take Tua over Haskins or Daniel Jones, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Um, Joe Burrow's number one. Kyler Murray would be number two if we're doing the, the combined in the last the two years, the last two years draft class. Wait, you would have Burrow not, over not, Kyler? Not knowing what you know about. Their oh, okay. Okay. They were both coming out this year and they oh, both okay, got it, got same it. final seasons in college. I would take, yeah, yeah, exactly. Burrow. Yeah, obviously you would, you would, like if Kyler was in this draft and he had already played his first season with the Cardinals, you would take Kyler first overall. Right. Yeah, okay. I think so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just fascinating because, like, Miami has such a chance to come out of it, it. Like, look at the Raiders last year. They, the Cleveland Farrell pick, people didn't even like, and they drafted a running back, and then they drafted a safety who didn't play a lot. But they were still. You come out with three first round picks and there is just a lot of positive momentum for your franchise as long as you don't totally crap the bet on those three first round picks. And I think that's sort of why they don't want it. Why maybe they're spreading this. I don't know if it's misinformation or what. I mean, like the, the, the coronavirus stuff, I, I don't, it doesn't, I don't want to say it benefits anybody, but it sort of benefits the Dolphins in the sense that they can help see, you know, seed misinformation about Tua if they want to take him and potentially have him fall to five. Like, I don't think he falls to five in any other year. You know, like if he's able to do his pro day and visit with teams and all that, there's no chance he could fall to five, but it feels like he could fall to five. And I think there is like a sense amongst some people who cover the draft closely that Herbert could go ahead of Tua. Yeah, some people are saying that he's not a better player. So, right. um, oh, here's a great question. I got, I can't. I wish I could remember who asked this question. I apologize, but would you take Tua if he? I, oh, I know who it was. It was Bucky Brooks. This is a great question. Would you take Tua if you knew he was going to have the same um, career trajectory as Andrew Luck? So play 2011, 2012 to 2019 or 2018, actually. Well, right? take, well, do you have to take him at? Do you have to trade up to take him at two, or can you take him at five? Well, hell, I mean, Andrew Luck went number one overall. So, yeah, if you want, if you know, if you know with 100% certainty he's going to play, whatever that is, six or seven years, and play that high of a level, mostly injury-free, you know, he's banged up towards the end that Andrew Luck was. Yeah. Um, I would not trade up to two if I had to give up another first-round pick. But I, if I could get up to two for a second-round pick or, like, a second and a third, I would do it. Or uh, I would definitely do it at number five. I would definitely do it at number five. I think I'd be even willing to trade up and give up five and 26 for him. If you're getting Andrew Luck quarterback level play for what, seven years? Yeah. I think that 80, gives you 86 a, career games. That gives you a decent Super Bowl window. Um, and we talk a lot about how the East has been, uh, it's not as stable yeah. as it used to be with New England down and out seemingly. Yeah. I would do it in a heartbeat. And also if you're getting Andrew Luck level play, Andrew Luck was able to, uh, cover up so many of the Colts' warts. In those opening years, those rosters were terrible, but those Colts' teams were going to the playoffs because of Andrew Luck. So if you're getting that level of play, I think the Dolphins are a playoff team. Great question by Bucky Brooks. Carolina, yeah. North Carolina football legend, Bucky Brooks. Uh, I will – but this isn't even important. I was sitting in the stands at Keenan Keenan, uh, Keenan Stadium. What's it called? Keenan. It is Keenan, right? Yeah. And uh, on um, fall break from William Mary, I drove down to see my buddy at UNC – we got to see Bucky Brooks play in, in a game. I don't remember who they played, but they probably lost. Then I twenty dollars. Yeah, we played for Mac Brown. I bet they won. That didn't those good. Then? I can't even remember. Late nineties, late nineties, they were stacked, dude. Mac oh. Brown had him like top. Yeah. Now Mac is back. Uh, how can the Dolphins cause chaos? And what do you? Well, actually, you know, what? don't 
let's ignore the casting because I think it all really revolves around two and whether or not they trade up. But Ryan, let me ask you this. What would be your perfect draft for the Dolphins? Like what do they need to come? Let's say they, they stick at their three spots, five, 18, 26. What do they come away with in a perfect world? Well, I, I think you have to start with Tua. You have to land Tua, assuming he's healthy. And- you, don't, you don't have to. I mean, like you could take um, Isaiah Simmons at five and take Jordan Love at 18 if that's what you would prefer. Yeah, but I mean, Tua is Tua's a better quarterback than Jordan Love. There are less um, uncertainties about him as a football player, more uncertainties about him uh, health-wise. So uh, this is tough. I mean, let's just assume that Tua will have Andrew Luck's career, so you're going to get seven years out of him. So I would take Tua at five, and then you could get Josh Jones at 18, who's a, who's a left tackle from Houston. There might be a chance for Javon Kinlaw to be there, and, and I love the idea of having him there alongside Christian Wilkins. Um, at the bottom of the first round, you get Cesar Ruiz, who's, who's a, a center out of Michigan. He's the best center in this class. You gotta protect whoever the quarterback is. So you get two offensive linemen and a quarterback. I think that's a good get. At the top of the third, the second round, at pick number 39, for example, you could get DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards Alaire, a running back. I mean, it, this team has a chance to be not terrible. We're talking about the Colts. The Colts won two games. They got Andrew Luck and won, won 11 games right away. I don't think the Dolphins gonna win 11 games, but they won five games last year. That's right. Yeah, five games. If they want like seven and a half, I don't know what the over under is. What are you taking on seven and a half? If they if they crush this draft, mm, I think it'd be six at five and a half or six and a half. But I would go over on five and a half, six and a half. Five and a half, I crushed five and a half over. Yeah, I, I, it, it kind of feels like this year's seven would be like they're that's that's the tipping point for me. Yeah, I think they, I, it's, they can go nine and seven, but I mean like everything has to break. Right? Yeah, exactly. I feel more comfortable saying they could be a seven and nine team, which would be a great season for them and set yeah. them up. People will be pick if they go seven and nine this year. People are going to be picking them to make the playoffs in twenty twenty one. Sure. So to answer your question, I've got a quarterback, offensive line help, running back, safety. If you target those things in the those first six of the first seventy picks, that's a home run. And don't forget, you mentioned the Raiders and those first three round picks. They also crushed Max Crosby. I think went in the fourth round. Yeah. They got Hunter Renfro, your cousin, who was a slot receiver, who's going to be who had a good year, is going to be even better next year. So they actually did what. On, better on the back end i i just mean that like and it it's dumb but it matters to come out of the draft with like f- for positive press for purposes of like keeping your owner off your back for keeping everybody happy with the gm for keeping for the fan base buying into you know ticket sales and everybody believing that the franchise is moving the right direction when you have this many first round picks you need to be you cannot possibly be declared a loser like if you're declared a loser coming out of the draft you really really screwed something up <laughs> yeah, I would agree. And that, in um, Bill O'Brenson's defense, is why he's trading away all his draft picks. Ooh, that's a good point. Nobody can't be blasted for your draft picks if you don't have any draft picks. The Cowboys are one of our most interesting teams in the draft. What's at stake for the Cowboys in this draft, Sean? They have seven picks, 17, 51, 82, 123, 164, 179, and 231. 17 is this weird spot. But we don't really know what's going to happen. R.J. White points out that um, they could have a, one of the blue chip prospects land to them. Uh, but if they want to go get a cornerback, which they desperately need, they probably need to move up uh, to get C.J. Henderson or Jeffrey Okuda if he if he slides. Um, but they could also just sit there and get an, uh, a pass rusher like a Javon Kinlaw or a Kalevon Chason you know, at 17. It's a very interesting spot for Dallas. So broadly speaking, what's at stake for them is that I think we can agree they have not had a great offseason just in terms of, you know, losing Travis Frederick uh, on the offensive line uh, and obviously losing Byron Jones. And what's at stake is they have a quarterback in the middle of his prime. I think we'd all call him a top 10 quarterback, probably even better than that. 
and they can't afford to waste that. And so that's what's at stake, generally speaking. And you talk about at 17, I mean, I don't think they're getting a CUDA, but it feels like, I mean, I'm looking at Ryan's seven-round mock right now, and he has C.J. Henderson going to them at 17. I think that's the direction they would prefer over, you know, Caleb on Chason or Kinlaw or someone like that, because if you just look at what they've done in free agency, they have not addressed secondary whatsoever. They've let, got, they've let Byron Jones go and not filled that replacement, but what they've done up front, they lost Robert Quinn. They've really targeted aggressively on these buy low, um, you know, with high reward upside signings, Gerald McCoy, Dontari Poe, um, that it kind of feels like they're leaving secondary for the, for the draft. And I'll also bring up, they have another corner, Joey Awuze, who's hitting free agency in a year. So that's what makes me think that's why they are leaving the secondary for the draft so they can also get younger as opposed to getting a short term rental there. Yeah. CJ Henderson, I, I like him going to the Cowboys. There's a really good chance that, um, the Falcons are going to be in the cornerback business, obviously because they need one. But um, Thomas Dimitrov, the, the GM, was talking to our buddy Matt Tabik the other day and pretty, made it pretty clear that cornerback is is on their radar. So C.J. Henderson makes a ton of sense in, in Atlanta, too. So if that happens, and, and Sean, you mentioned Kayla on Chase on, he could be the edge rusher to go to 17. And in my latest mock draft, which comes out Monday, I'm not sure when this is airing, in the second round, I have them taking a safety, Ashton Davis, out of California. I'm not sure if he'll still be there, but there, there should be plenty of safeties in round two that they can target if they want to bolster uh, that position. So, again, Sean touched on it. They have a ton of needs on defense. I know they signed a bunch of old-timers, but I don't know if that's magically going to fix everything. All the best for Aldo Smith, but who knows if he's going to be ready to play after taking all that time off. If C.J. Uh, Henderson is off the board, who is your third-ranked corner? Um, Christian Fulton. I like a lot of LSU. There's Jeff Gladney. I mean, Would tr- you, if the top two are off the board, is it a reach for the Cowboys to still go corner at 17, or would you prefer they just go best available, you know, if Chason is there you and address take, the edge rush? Well, you can take Christian Fulton there, the cornerback at LSU. Um, the thing is that there aren't a lot of edge rushers in this class, so after Chason, there's a little bit of a drop-off, so you have to do that math. You can get a cornerback in round two probably. Uh, obviously, a safety, I mentioned that. So that's the the conversation they'll have to have. Um, do you want to take Chason now and gamble that another cornerback you like is there at 51, or do you want to just take – Christian Fulton, Trevon Diggs, or Jeff Gladney, whoever, and then um, go in another direction should you need to at 51. By the way, Pete Briscoe pointed out that um, he was going through with a, GO, a, general, a general manager in the NFL, uh, going through with him and, and breaking down how many surefire first-round guys there are, four quarterbacks. This is on Friday's show. Four quarterbacks, uh, and Ryan's the, the mock draft he mentions is from yesterday, Monday. Uh, he'll have another one the following Monday after that, and then – Oh my God! Is that the, do you have to do? Do you have to do on Monday and then again before the draft, or just Monday? Monday and Thursday morning, I believe. Oh, how much? See, Monday you need to get weird. You need to get like the you need to get it out of your system for the final Monday. Like, don't try and be accurate like the Monday. Like, do something like crazy and off the wall. So then you come back. That's Maybe I'll do what I would do, not what the teams will do, or some nonsense. For my mock draft this week, which will be out on Thursday. Um, and then I have to have one do before, Tuesday before the draft. I think I'm going to do the worst mock draft ever that I've been talking about for like three years now. It's where the goal is to make uh, each fan base, each of the 32 fan bases, irate over their selection. Like the uh, like the the Bengals take Tua at one instead of Burrow. I don't know where Burrow would go. Though. I couldn't figure that I out. Like, the the Bengal the Browns trade up from ten, take Joe Burrow. Don't trade Baker Mayfield. They bench him. They bench Baker Mayfield. And that, yeah, they have Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield. But I want it to be like a realistic situation. Like, 
Like, the, like you point out, like the Jaguars trade up for Herbert, and Jags fans are like, oh, "That's ridiculous." They'll hate that. Yeah. Uh, so I have to figure out what to do with Burrow. That's the last remaining piece I got to go. But four quarterbacks, four wide receivers, six offensive linemen, four defensive linemen, three linebackers, three cornerbacks. Uh, Prisco thinks are surefire first rounders. So in that respect, Wait, I'm sorry. read that again. Four quarterbacks. Yep. Four wide receivers. Okay. Six offensive linemen. Okay. Four defensive linemen. Ooh, that seems like a lot. Okay, go ahead. Three linebackers. Well, yeah. defensive linemen, not edge rushers. So like Ken Law, Chase on. Uh, yeah. Derek. Chase on's edge. So Derek Brown. And but he's he's counting him as a as a defensive lineman, I think. Oh, okay. If that's okay. Like edge, he's combined edge and, and defensive tackles. So, All right, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then like the three linebackers, it's like Murray, Simmons, uh, and then three cornerbacks. Okay. No, I like that. Okay. I didn't hear you the first time because I was thinking of possible trade scenarios for the Bears. So the Bears give up their next 10 first-round picks to trade up to number one, and they take Justin Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say they trade up to, like, 31 and take Jacob Eason or something. But the, but, the, but the point of it is that for the Cowboys, I think they could – like, if you know that, you know, X – like, you know that X number of players are going to be taking the first round, it's not crazy to take that third cornerback in the first round. Like, yeah, that's right. Because you're not going to get Christian Fulton – um, down at number uh, fifty-one. I don't think so. That would be that would be a surprise, right? So, yeah. Um, I I feel like they. I feel like at seventeen, the Cowboys haven't moved around a ton lately. I feel like with you remember they traded up and got Mo Claiborne, and that burnt them. Uh, it feels like they've kind of stood pat and just trusted their scouting department and it's worked out pretty well for them. I would guess that they sit at 17 and hope that there's a run on quarterbacks early on and a run on wide receivers. And then they're able to grab, um, you know, a, uh, a, a, you know, a stud, you know, it wouldn't be shocking if the Cowboys did, if they just flipped it and went with like, went with Justin Jefferson at 17. Yeah. This class is so deep at wide receiver. That'd be, yeah. But like Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and then, and then Jefferson in the slot, like that's beastie. It is, but I mean, who's gonna? Uh, can he play defense? They don't have, their defense is dog. Outscore the other team. How'd that work out last year? Not very well. Coming up after the break, we got Chris Trapasso, a defensive lineman and edge prospects, and tomorrow we'll break down two more of the most interesting teams in the draft. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, now it's time to talk some draft prospects to do so. Ranking, it's, it's, uh, it's defensive ranking week as noted on the top. And as we mentioned, uh, joining us now, good friend of the program, longtime contributor, you do get contributor status, Chris Trapasso, who I apparently, uh, incorrectly nicknamed Traps. Why did I, how did I even get to Traps? I, I don't know how you got to Traps, but I actually kind of like it. Like it's always been Sea Trap my entire life. So it's kind of like worn out to me. So like when you just throw in, oh, hey, Traps, I'm like, hey, that kind of works. Like it's, it's smoother. <laughs> Drop the C at the top, just Traps. I like it. It's a single, single syllable nickname is way better than, than two if you're chopping down. Like, yeah. And I think C trap was in like the A rod J lo where you took the first letter and then the beginning of the last name, like yeah. early 2000s. So that's kind of out. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I like it. Uh, traps. There you go. Traps is good to go. I don't, I don't know where it came from either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where anything comes from these days. Uh, you holding up okay up there in, uh, Buffalo and quarantine? Yeah, we're doing good. I mean, this with it being draft season, like my job hasn't really changed that much. And it's nice having the wife home with the two kids. Um, but it is like interesting trying to like figure out when I can do a pick six podcast appearance or when I can go on the radio, who's napping, who's crying, who needs to eat. But everything beyond that has been really awesome. Uh, all right. Good to hear. It's good to hear. Um, let's talk about some guys, some uh, defensive linemen and top uh, edge rushers. We will start with the edge rushers it's not a it's uh, i don't want to say it's not an elite class i think there's a lot of guys in the first round who could end up being um or a lot of edge guys who could end up going in the first round but i mean it's only really one top end guy we'll get to first of all your, your number five guy aj epinesa out of iowa uh, he actually was the 32nd overall pick in our monday mock draft on cbs sports hq i i feel like a horrible human being dennis dodd couldn't be a nicer person and I just eviscerate. I gave him an F and a C plus for his two picks. He took T Higgins. Well, actually, you probably you probably like. I know you got Higgins high traps. Um, and then uh, Ep- he took Higgins at like 15th overall. Then AJ Epinesa at uh, at 32nd overall. How do you feel about that fit with the Chiefs? Uh, who does you, who does he kind of re- remind you of, and what do you like about his game? I think that fit with the Chiefs would make sense. Um, they need more pass rush on the outside. Beyond Frank Clark, um, I certainly think that they get a lot of their pass rush from the inside with Chris Jones, but there's no real certainty about his future. Um, Epinesa reminds me a lot of Zadarius Smith, who basically just had almost a defensive player of the year type season with the Packers. And I remember when Zadarius Smith was coming out of Kentucky. They're both almost the same size, 6'4", 275, so they're big edge rushers who can play on the edge or inside. They're probably best inside on a a third and long and dealing with like a squatty left or right guard. Um, And I remember when he was coming out of Kentucky, it was like, this guy's really big. He's strong. He uses his hands well in terms of pass rushing moves, Um, but he's not that great of an athlete. And he wasn't nearly as hyped as his teammate, Bud Dupree, in that same draft class. Um, so the consensus was that Zadarius Smith was going to go later in the draft, uh, was maybe just going to be this high-energy hustle player, and he turned out to be a much better pro than Bud Dupree. That's how I get 
the same type of vibe with A.J. Epinesa. You don't want him strictly on the edge because he's not a great athlete for that position. But at 6'4", 275, with just pipes for arms, great pass rushing moves, you want to use him inside as a nickel interior pass rusher. That's where I think he's best. So he's kind of versatile in a way, but he's not a crazy athlete. Everything, though, technically, uh, he does very, very well. Okay. Uh, so you're... Are you on board with him in the first round, late in the first round, or does he need to be? Yeah, I have him. My big board is out right now for CBSSports.com, my top 250. He's in my first round right around, like, in the 30s. So if the Chiefs picked him there at 32, I I think that would make sense. I was expecting a little bit better of a combine. Um, but, again, if, if you look at him as kind of a, a hybrid DND tackle and you're looking at him more specifically just on the inside, he's a pretty good athlete to be that nickel interior pass rusher. Um, so he moved down a little bit on my board, but again, strength, pass rushing moves. He is awesome in those areas. I think he's an end of the first round type of talent. Okay. Uh, next up, number four, Yetter Gross Matos out of Penn State. I really like this guy. I think he's got a lot of upside as a pass rusher and a nice floor as a run stopping, uh, edge guy. Uh, agree, disagree. What do you like? And, and who does he remind you of? Yeah, I think that's a good uh, kind of summary of Gross Matos that uh, you're probably not going to see this guy bust out of the league because he has size, he has power. Um, and then why you see upside, and I totally agree with you, is because his pass rushing moves are getting better. That in 2018, uh, his statistics were actually better than they were this past season. But a lot of that was covered sacks. He was the unblocked player on read options. So he had a ton of tackles for loss. This year, he was beating Big Ten left and right tackles with a swipe move, a swim move to the inside. He was converting speed to power a lot better. So there is upside there. My comparison for him is Marcus Davenport. I think they're almost identical that you saw all the tools there with Marcus Davenport coming out of UTEP and these freakish flashes from him with long arms. They're almost the exact same size, like 6'5", 265, so they're really big and strong. Um, but I still think, and it's the case with Marcus, Dav- uh, with Marcus Davenport too, the best football is ahead of Yatir Grossmanos. Maybe you don't get an offense or a defensive rookie of the year type of season from him, but in two or three seasons, I think he'll be one of the better young three-down edge rushers in the NFL. Mm, I like it. Uh, number three. Curtis Weaver out of Boise State. Uh, now I notice, all right, now feel free to reconcile this as, as needed. And maybe it's just simply perception and you prefer Weaver to, to Gross Matos, but he's probably more of a day two guy. Yep. Whereas Gross Matos would be a stunner if he fell out of the first round. Um, but you have Weaver higher, right? Yeah. Cause he just checks all the boxes for me, uh, in that. He was very productive all three of his seasons at Boise State. And I get it, the Mountain West is not as competitive as even the Big Ten, obviously. Um, but I think he's more advanced as a pass rusher right now. Uh, he's 6'2", 265, so he is thick. I mean, he is ready to win with low center of gravity around the edge um, and really bull rush his way to the quarterback because he's so low to the ground. He can get up and under offensive tackles. And then I think a little bit better than Gross Matos, um, Weaver can turn the corner and bend and dip to the quarterback. And that's some pass rushers just don't have that, and you see them get pushed past the quarterback. They're a little stiff when turning the corner. I think after his good first step, 
you see him flatten to the quarterback quite a bit. Um, he had 23 sacks and 36 and a half tackles for loss the last two years. Um, he reminds me very much of Jerry Hughes, a guy that I know very well up here in Buffalo, uh, was another player that got labeled as, oh, he's a little bit too short. He's going to have problems with longer tackles, but he was very productive at TCU. And after getting traded to the Bills from the Colts, he's been one of the better pressure creators on the edge um, in the AFC for the last five or six years in Buffalo. So Jerry Hughes was a late first-round pick, I believe number 31 overall to the Colts. You're right that Curtis Weaver will probably be a second or maybe even a third-round pick, uh, but I just think he checks all the boxes. He had a pretty good combine, too. Um, I think in a few years we'll be like, this was the steal of the second or third day or second or third round of the draft because Curtis Weaver has really a complete game. Right. I, uh, I, I think that's a, a guy that's sort of flying under the radar. One guy who's not flying under the radar, especially on our mock draft on Monday because Ryan took him 12th overall. There were some shenanigans afoot. Basically Ryan had to reorder some of the picks that he made because of, uh, things. It's hard to explain, but Calevon Chason at LSU, your number two edge rusher, uh, went 12th overall to Ryan Wilson and the Arizona Cardinals. They had traded away Chandler Jones since, since why they got it. It's a whole mess. Yeah. I was seeing there was a bunch of like veterans getting traded in this most, it was, uh, it recent was, mock draft. It was Andy really Dalton and Cam Newton signing with other teams. Like it was like bananas. It was preposterous. Um, <laughs> but I like the Alden Smith comp here. He's somebody that's like, I think Chase on, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, he's going to come in and be great off the edge as a situational pass rusher who you can just like Bruce, Ir- Bruce Irvin, like yep. just send after the quarterback over and over again. But if he's forced to, you know, play on a team that's trying to stop the run and you know, like maybe isn't very good defensively, like he's not going to be an anchor who stuffs the run and shores up the edge and all of that. Yeah, exactly. And. Alden Smith was a little bit bigger than Caleb on chase on. He was like an inch taller and 10 pounds heavier. But back to that 49ers team in 2011, they had Justin Smith, and he was the run-stuffing defensive end. And you're right, that rookie season that Alden Smith had, which was one of the best rookie seasons that the NFL has ever seen from an edge rusher, he was just deployed as a situational pass rusher. They just let him pin his ears back. And if you go back and read, which I did this last night, Read an Alden Smith scouting report. It almost matched up identically with what I've written about Caleb on chase on that good pass rushing moves, all the athleticism that you want can win with speed around the edge, bend speed to power uh, needs to get a little bigger, maybe not good against the run. Um, but if you need a pass rusher, this is your guy. And that's why I went with Alden Smith. Um, and they're both young. Alden Smith was 21 when he was drafted and Caleb on chase on doesn't turn 21 until July. So I think he could hit the ground running in the NFL, but we could see two, three, four years from now him being one of the better, you know, pressure creators in the NFL and just a guy that could have that ceiling of maybe 15, 16, 17 sacks in a season. Wow. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's just that was sort of my point with Wilson was like I gave him an F for Chase on at 12, not because I don't like the player, but that's early. Like how how high could he go in this draft? I've like routinely mocked him uh, at number 17 overall to the Falcons. And I feel like that's his ceiling because like I'm, I like him, but I realize that he does have deficiencies as a run defender. So I figure that teams are not going to pick just a Bruce Irvin type of player uh, in the top 10 in the top 15, but I could see him going to the Falcons. They still need another pass rusher 
Um, but most likely somewhere in the 20s, I think, is where yeah. Caleb on Chase will ultimately be picked. Well, that's the thing is like, so Wilson passed up, and I mean, I'm not, I mean, just in a vacuum, you're passing up, you know, he passed up Henry Ruggs, uh, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, and, uh, CJ Henderson. Like, all those guys should be going ahead of Chase on, right? Yeah. And in that situation, if you're saying that, um, he traded Chandler Jones, Chandler Jones is like arguably the most complete defensive end in the NFL. He's a great right. run defender. And obviously has a high ceiling. Piles sacks. Sacks, yeah. yeah. So with Chase on, you would be like, all right, we're glad that we're getting a great pass rusher, but is our run defense going to take a hit? And yeah, to pass up those other players, that's how you have to, I think you have to grade a draft pick in the first round, especially like who could you have picked? And is that the biggest need for the Cardinals? Probably not. Even if they did trade Chandler Jones, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks. All right. So the number one edge player to no one's surprise Chase Young out of Ohio State. Uh, it would be stunning, I think, if he went any lower than third overall. Fourth overall is his floor. If for some reason, like, the Redskins and Lions both trade out and Tua and Herbert go two and three. So I guess that'd be crazy. Guess, that'd be crazy. Yeah, I, I think but that's happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty unlikely, but, you know, that's, you, you can't make his floor three. Dave Gettleman's picking him if he's there at four in one second. Right. If, if he, yeah, exactly. Immediately selecting him. I'm, all, I'm a little surprised. I guess he's not going to trade up with Washington. Gentleman didn't, but I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. That, like, he's not going to move up. Yeah. Well, he doesn't move around one and two. Like, Ron Rivera is not going to let Dave Gettleman come up and, uh, and do it, you know? So, yeah, like, for sure. Um, so who, who do you comp Chase Young to? What are you, uh, and, and, okay, and you can- high ceiling? You can totally bash me for this comparison, but it's Bradley Chubb. And that might seem kind of like, wah, wah. Why would, I'm a, I love Bradley Chubb. Why well, would, oh, yeah, that's true. You're an NC State yeah, guy. The one like, person, like, I, I, I assumed that was, you are like, bash you. I was like, you mean like it's an NC State Well, because I've seen, yeah, I've seen so many like Julius Peppers, Miles Garrett, better yeah. version of Nick Bosa. And I'm not at all bashing Chase Young. He's my number two overall player. He is an awesome pass rushing prospect. But I think Bradley Chubb's kind of like out of sight, out of mind because he got hurt last year. I mean, he had double digit sacks as a rookie and, and looked to be the, the next like Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa before he got injured. I just think they're almost identical as prospects. They're almost the exact same size. Um, and everything that you want for an edge rusher, pass rushing moves, first step quickness, um, power, uh, the ability to counter to the inside, good run defender can set a really sturdy edge. But they both have the same weakness, and I loved Bradley Chubb. He was my number one overall player in that draft class two years ago. Um, was the fact that he could occasionally look a little bit stiff trying to turn the corner and bend and flatten to the quarterback. And I think as Chase Young, he's six five, two sixty four. He's a tall guy at times. And you, if you watch the Clemson college football uh, semifinal a few times against better competition than what he was seeing in the Big Ten. He would win with his first step, and right as you were to expect him to flatten to Trevor Lawrence, he was pushed past him. And I think bigger, uh, heavier edge rushers usually have a problem flattening to the quarterback. That's my one tiny nitpick with him, and I remember having that with Bradley Chubb. But I think any team in the NFL would sign up to have Bradley Chubb, a 21-year-old version of Bradley Chubb, on their team right now. That's who I see the most when I watch uh, Chase Young. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that he's getting the Miles Garrett, Julius Peppers. He's just not that big and not that athletic, I don't think. Yeah, and like I, people are like, 
you know, he's the maybe the best pass rushing prospect to come out of the, uh, you know, coming to the NFL draft in the last five years. It's like he's not even the best pass rushing prospect to come out of Ohio State in the last five years. I know. I. I looked back uh, at you my two take, You would definitely take both of the Bosa's coming out over Chase Young, right? Am I yes. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I looked back at my two scouting notebooks. Um, I had Nick Bosa graded higher, and I didn't have an intricate grading system when Joey Bosa came out in 2017, but I would have probably taken Joey Bosa over him, too, because he could drop into coverage. He was, like, making interceptions. You know, Joey's, yeah, no, Joey was a monster coming out. Joey was the best player in college. This is what happens every year, though. Like, the top two or three guys – get the generational label every year. And it I don't know if I sound like a curmudgeon because I'm not, but it's like ease up. Like Miles Garrett and Nick and Joey Bosa just came into the league in the last three years, four years. Um, Chase Young is very, very good. Bradley Chubb is very, very good. Yeah. But to say Julius Peppers, like future first. Julius Peppers, played, Julius Peppers played basketball for Carolina. Yeah. I, I don't think basketball. Chase Young is that kind of an athlete. I think it's close. Um, to me, and this is this might sound like uh, an old scout that's kind of mad for no reason, uh, but when he didn't work out at the combine, I didn't take that as like, oh, he's you know not competing. But the fact that like the Boses went through everything, and Miles Garrett was like the lock to be the first pick, and he's like, yeah, I'll show you how big of a freak I am. And Chase Young was like, uh, no, I'm okay. I understood it, but it raised this like little tiny red flag, like. Maybe he wasn't going to like have this crazy three cone and jump 41 inches. Um, and then to see that he didn't measure in as big or as long as Miles Garrett, that's kind of what helped me zero in on this Bradley Chubb comparison as opposed to a loftier Hall of Fame type comparison. Well, what about the, what about the fact that he didn't have any sacks over his final three games of his college career against Michigan on the road? And, and a, I mean, and look, that, you know, that's a game that Ohio State. Uh, you know, one handily, 56 to 27, not a, uh, not a close game, but then also was completely stymied in terms of sacks. I did get tackle, a tackle for one and a half tackles for loss against Wisconsin in the championship game. Uh, but then, you know, just two total tackles and not much else against, um, the, uh, you know, against the uh, Clemson Tigers in that semifinal game. Yeah. And that's what I, I mean, if you go back and watch those games, it's not like he was totally invisible. There were pressures. There were times where he beat his blocker one-on-one, but in especially those three games, after he got through some of the scrubs in the Big Ten that he was facing, um, you saw him like, oh, he's going to have a strip sack. Oh, he gets pushed past the quarterback. Where like the Von Millers, the probably back in 2001, Julius Peppers, Javon Curse, I've seen that get thrown out for a comparison. Those were the guys that were finishing because they had that flexibility. And it's just, I think you either have it or you don't to flatten to the quarterback. There are times where he really quickly collapses the pocket against like Rutgers and Wisconsin and Minnesota or whatever. Um, but against the tougher competition, there was this kind of thought like, oh, hey, well, watch the games. He did have some pressure. But if you're drafting Chase Young number two overall, you want him to show up in those really big games. And that's where I really saw with him. It was the minor nitpick, him getting a little stiff when trying to turn the corner. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the other, the non-edge, the, the defensive lineman off the edge, the less sexy, sexy, the hog mollies, if you will. Number five for you, Jordan Elliott out of Missouri, profiling as a uh, a day two guy here, right? Yeah, second or third round for him. I know Pro Football Focus like loves him. I believe they have him as like a first rounder. I see him more on day two. My comparison for him is Kawan Short, and for some reason, and you can tell me this because you're a Carolina guy. I thought that, like, Kawan Short was this, like, 
barely six foot, like squatty fire hydrant of a guy. He's six three, two ninety nine at his combine. <laughs> so I was like, oh, he's way taller and sleeker than I thought he was. That's around the same size of Jordan Elliott. Uh, and they're both when Kawan Short was coming out of Purdue and Jordan Elliott now coming out of Missouri. They are awesome with their hands. They have six or seven pass rushing moves um, that they just completely, whether it been in the Big Ten or in the SEC, completely flabbergast interior blockers. Like, they're very, very good with their hands. Um, I think they have decent athleticism, uh, but Jordan Elliott, and we saw from his combine, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. So to me, when you have one area, you check a box with the pass rushing moves, but you're not going to check the box for the athleticism. That looks like a day two pick to me. Kawan Short was a day two pick, and he, you know, turned out to be a really good player for the Panthers. Uh, so that's kind of how I see with him that if he lands on a team that really needs just a upfield penetrator, I think he can be a really good pro in a couple of seasons. Okay, interesting uh, guy. Who sort of, I it just seems like he's kind of off the radar a little bit. Yeah, he is. He is for sure. If really likes him. Um, you know, that's that's the type of player, too, that's like, if he's got that kind of upside, like he's got Kawan Short upside. You know, I mean, he, Kawan Short was a, the day, you know, day two pick for the Panthers after they took Starlet to Lele. But, I mean, maybe it's somebody that sneaks into the back half of the first round if somebody really likes him. Uh, Ross, is it Ross Blaylock or Blacklock? Blacklock. Blacklock. What a great last name. Blacklock. Yeah, his comparison for me. You've in life if your last name is Blacklock. Yeah, for sure. He he did, It sounds like a D lineman, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. His comparison for me is Dominique Easley. Uh, he was a first round pick for the Patriots. He's actually not signed by anyone right now. He was on the Rams. He like jumped from the Rams to the Patriots. Um, has had a bunch of knee injuries. Yeah. Uh, he came out of Florida, I think 2011, 2012. Um, Blacklock with him, you're getting the opposite of Jordan Elliott. You're getting a super explosive through the gap player, um, decent power, but he's just like, off the snap, he's the first guy into the backfield faster than some edge rushers on his team at TCU. His hands, though, they're a little bit behind. Like, he doesn't really know how to use them. He doesn't have a ton of counter moves. His bull rush is okay. Um, but to me, that's the other type of profile that looks like a second-round pick, that you're going to have to uh, draft him to a team that has a good defensive line coach that can teach him some pass-rushing moves, um, Dominique Easley never really got there. There were some flashes with the Patriots and the Rams, um, but he was just like a, a first step master as well. So I think Blacklock, um, certainly more so even than Jordan Elliott, let him just attack upfield. Do not ask him to be a run defender. Don't ask him to eat blocks and, you know, against double teams, he gets washed away. But his first step is a first round caliber, in my opinion. Mm, all right. Ross Blacklock. Great name. <laughs> Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma, another uh, likely day two guy for you. Um, what a uh, surprising number of Oklahoma defenders going to be taken fairly er, fairly uh, early in this draft. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, if you watch Oklahoma in the last two years, it was like a track meet in every game, and you thought, like, this entire defense is going to be selling insurance in, like, two years. But, yeah, that with him and Kenneth Murray, um, those two are probably going to be top 50 selections. It's like, how did they, like, not stop anyone the last two years? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, who do you compare him to, and uh, who could be a fit? What does he do well? My comparison for him is Javon Hargrave, who just signed a big deal with the Eagles, uh, was kind of underutilized in Pittsburgh. Um, they're both kind of similar to Ross Blacklock in that they're going to win with First step quickness, but like Hargrave, 
Um, I think with Gallimore, you get more lateral ability that on his own running play, if you need him to get all the way across the line of scrimmage, battle through some blocks, Gallimore can do that. And he's got interesting story in that a year ago, he was 6'2 and like 340. He was like this space-eating nose tackle. You watch his old film. You're like, okay, good player, good run defender, but he's not going to really be that valuable in the modern-day NFL. Comes in at the combine at 304 after shedding a ton of weight before the season. Um, very disruptive. I think he uses his hands pretty well. Um, he's not Aaron Donald with his hands, but he understands that he has to win with more than just his athleticism. Um, and that's kind of what Javon Hargrave has done or did in Pittsburgh. He was a situational pass rusher, very loose hips, flexible, um, gets washed away against the run sometimes, but just penetrate through a gap. That's, for me, what I want to see with an interior defense alignment. I don't really care that much about run defense and two-gapping and uh, making impact plays against the run. Get after the quarterback, and I think Neville Gallimore is very good doing that. Very cool. I like it. Uh, now, the number, the top two guys, uh, people will certainly know, and uh, I'd be curious to see where you think they end up going. Number two for you, a little flip here. I think most people would have it the other way around, or the consensus would be the other way around, but this is perfectly mm-hmm. fine. Uh, Derek Brown out of Auburn, your number two defensive lineman. Yeah, he's my number two uh, defensive lineman, and I've taken a lot of stuff on Twitter from like these crazed Auburn fans, which is totally fine. They are, um, those are crazy people. Th- yeah, they're crazy. Like I remember watching that Alabama Auburn uh, Sweet Home Alabama, like thirty for thirty with like Charles Barkley in it and stuff, and it talks about how crazy that game is and how like ridiculous the fans are. So I'm like, okay, when I get a mean tweet from an Auburn fan. I'm like, all right, it's different. It truly is different for that rivalry. Um, but anyway, Derek Brown, um, for a lot of the same reasons that I was just outlining with Neville Gallimore, I think he is an outstanding run defender. He's the best run defender of any trench player in this draft class. He has a huge tackling radius. I didn't see him miss a tackle this past season. He's insanely powerful. His bull rush, best in the class. He's going to overwhelm NFL guards and centers right away but I just do not see him beating NFL blockers in many other ways as a pass rusher I don't see any other pass rushing moves and it's crazy to think but he was really able to just power his way through the SEC the last two seasons and not a lot of players can do that he relies purely on power um, or when he needs to get off a blocker against the run he's great at doing that not very quick, did not have a good combine. I don't see any pass rushing moves, really, that he relies on that he's effective with. I still have him as a top 20 prospect in this class. I believe he's my 20th overall prospect. But any, like, oh, he could go to the Giants at number four overall. I think you'll get a Marcel Darius-type player. My comparison, actually, is Eddie Goldman um, from the Chicago Bears, who's been a really good nose tackle for them. I think Derek Brown gives you a little more juice. But that's the type of play you're getting, a great run defender that is kind of already maxed out as a pass rusher. And I think a team picking them in the top 10 is going to say, hey, we got a good player. But then in like three or four years, oh, we wish we would have got more pass rushing value than what we ultimately got from Derrick Brown. Mm. I, I, I tend to think that people are just sort of penciling Derrick Brown in. I'm a little surprised. It's like. I mean, like, do you really want to spend? And, and look, maybe, maybe, like, all right. So, where do you, who do you think is a fit? Like, like when you look at the fits, like, you know, is there a team like the Carolina Panthers? You know, yeah, I was gonna say, I think the Carolina Panthers would make sense, but 
talking about what, what you mentioned earlier with like Ryan Wilson's picks in the most recent mock, like who are you passing up? Is Jeffrey Akuda there? Is CJ Henderson there? Is one of, uh, you know, an edge Isaiah rusher Simmons? there? Yeah. Is Isaiah Simmons? You can't take Derek Brown over Isaiah Simmons. You just can't. It, it, if you're rebuilding like the Panthers are. So when I've done these mocks, I'm like, okay, that team could use a D lineman, but you're not getting a great pass rusher. I just really don't think you are. I think he is going to beat NFL blockers with his power, but if you can only rely on one move or one way to get to the quarterback, professional offensive linemen will be able to sit on that and stop you. So it's hard to find a spot for him, maybe to the Cowboys. um, But, the consensus, like you're saying, is not only him as the top defensive lineman, um, but it's him inside the top 15 or top 10. I just don't think the value is there. Okay, I, I'm I'm with you. I think it's uh, it's just it it's sometimes what happens is you, you're the top defensive lineman on, on a lot of boards, and you get penciled into a certain spot. It, True. Could he could he fall because? Yeah, here's what I'll say, I guess, is that Derek Brown will be a case to just gauge where the league is when it comes to run defenders against pass rushers. Like Dexter Lawrence, uh, who went, what, right in the middle of the first round last year to the Giants, like 17th overall, um, I think he was much better as a pass rusher, but he was still a nose tackle. So I was like, okay, that's still maybe a little early. But if Derek Brown goes like, I don't know, if Dave Gettleman throws a curveball and picks him at four, if he goes to the Panthers at seven, then we can probably guess that the league still values elite run plugging, but it wouldn't shock me. And you're kind of alluding to it. If he falls a little bit because he does not give you the pass rush ability as my number one player. I would. And and that's Javon Kinlaw, who we'll get to in a second. I would just say that like, I think Derek Brown's floor is so high Mm -hmm. that someone in the top, 15, some of the top 10 will take him because you, like you, you, yeah. know, you watch, you watch him play and you're like, okay, we're going to get this guy. And it's sort of like, it's, I think it's not the same thing because this guy's different, but like Vita Vea coming out of Washington, you mm-hmm. know, it was like, I mean, this guy is just makes stuff happen on, on the defensive line. Like even though he's a big body and, and Brown's obviously a lot smaller than Vita Vea because most human beings are, but the way that the Buccaneers slowed down the run last year with Vea playing well next to Indominus Sue, like it's, it's easy to see sort of the scenario where a team in the top 10 is like, look, you know, we, we know Isaiah Simmons is a more interesting player and maybe like a more dynamic player relative to positional versatility, but do we definitely know how to use him? No. And if we take Derek Brown, this kid's going to come in and plug the middle of our defense for the next 10 years. And if he turns into a great player, all of a sudden, you know, we have, we have a fantastic pick there. I, I think he, I think he will still go high, but I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And I mean, based on what you just laid out, which I think does make a lot of sense, you could technically call Derek Brown a safe pick. Like I do think he has a very high floor and I've said Marcel Darius. I know he's had off field issues, but like, when I say him, I mean just someone that is going to be in the league for a long time. I think Akeem Hicks for the Bears makes a lot of sense. Like, good player, at times very good player, um, but at times can be invisible. But you know you're getting uh, NFL caliber strength with him, power. He's not going to be washed out of the league. He's not at all boom or bust. I just, if I was a GM picking a D tackle inside the top 10, I would want much more polish as a pass rusher okay fair enough uh it's, it's your list javon kinlaw <laughs> you're number one uh 
defensive lineman. What do you love about Kinlaw? I like the fact that he has really long arms. He's a power player. Like he just steamrolled through the SEC. Didn't have crazy stats, but his pressures seemed like he had four or five every game. Um, he's not as good of a run defender as Derek Brown, but I certainly believe he's a better pass rusher. I think he has a few pass rushing moves. He's not J.J. Watt when it comes to, like, he's not like a mixed martial artist. But, um, but uh, it just wouldn't, uh, like, all right, I see with the hand movement and stuff, but wouldn't, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't Kinlaw and Derek Brown both profile as a uh, 3-4 defensive tackle? Or a 4-3 yeah. defensive tackle, excuse me. Well, it's weird because they're both 6'5", 325. So that's like, what do you do with that? I think if we were 10 years ago when teams were a lot, there was a lot more delineation between 3'4 and 4'3, they would probably be five techniques, like the defensive end in a 3'4. But Kinlaw played on the nose. He played at three technique, which is the kind of the pass rushing position inside. So they're like oversized interior pass rushers at 6'5 and 325. So you're saying you could use these guys as like three, four ends? Yes, you could use them anywhere because of their because of their size and their length. Um, but it seems as though just based on where they played in college, their defensive coordinators wanted them as close to the football as possible. So like when a lot of teams might say, hey, 6'5 and 325, that is a 3-4 defensive end. When we do a three-man rush or we, we're – we're dropping some edge rushers. We're going to put Kinlaw or Derek Brown on the end. Um, then that's fine. But I think the best place for them is either at the nose tackle position or just outside of the outside shoulder of a guard because that's when they can really attack up the field. And with that, this is a similar player um, that did play in a lot of three fours. My comparison for Kinlaw is Muhammad Wilkerson. That mm-hmm. he was six. He was six four three fifteen. Go back and read a scouting report. I I will admit I was not scouting players way back when he came into the NFL out of Temple, I believe in 2011 to the Jets, um, that his scouting report, and I did this with Chase on with Alden Smith, reads exactly like what I wrote about Javon Kinlaw in my own scouting notebook, that long, very powerful, pretty good athlete, um, has some pass rushing moves, but you want him to get a little bit better in that area, can win with just his first step through the line or just bowling through blockers that's what I see with Javon Kinlaw I see a Muhammad Wilkerson who did get better in the pass rushing department and that's why we had those three or four seasons where behind J.J. Watt he was like one of the most disruptive and versatile D linemen in the game mm, all right fair enough uh okay good stuff traps uh no longer sea trap like yeah tra- I like it I'm gonna go with it maybe I'll like when I finally or ever see my friends again after this, uh, I might just be like, oh, hey, guys, just start calling me traps. Will Brinson calls me traps. You should send out a text and it's like, uh, <laughs> FYI, I've changed my, <laughs> changed my nickname. It is now traps. Uh, please adjust your post-quarantine. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe I should use this and come out of the quarantine and say, like, this is my new name now. Absolutely. It's a very Costantia. Uh, Costantia. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Emerge from the cocoon of quarantine with a new nickname. I like it. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Chris Trapasso at Chris Trapasso on Twitter. Read him on CBSSports.com. Tomorrow we have uh, two part two of the most interesting teams in the draft, and Embry Hunt will break down linebackers. Traps, thanks, buddy. All right, well, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it.